Hello, this is Gene Wilhelm, and today we'll be examining the scriptures for the 29th Sunday of Ordinary Time in Cycle B. That's October 17th, 2021. What is it that you ask Jesus? Is it something as self-serving as what James and John did in the gospel reading today? Unfortunately, we too often ask God for what we want to satisfy our desires, not God's desires. We want power, prestige, recognition, authority, wealth, and at the end, eternal life. But I want these now. Jesus' call to us is very different. In John 13, 13 and 14, says, You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right to do so, for I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. Or again in John 15, chapter, chapter 15, verses 10 through 14, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love than this has no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. The first reading is from Isaiah 53, 10 and 11. Uh, and it's very short, but this is a prophecy of the Messiah. And we need to look at it carefully. There are not, there, we won't spend a lot of time, but we will look at it carefully. It begins, the Lord was pleased to crush him with infirmity. Now this is, you'd think, I mean, if you were a typical person, you would think that if God had chosen somebody special, especially chose that person to be the Messiah, that he wouldn't have crushed him with infirmity. He, infirmity. he would have given him everything he needed to be successful. But in God's way of looking at things, this infirmity, this crushing of the Messiah, is exactly what was supposed to be happening. And if he gives his life as an offering for sin, he shall see his descendants in a long life, and the will of the Lord shall be accomplished through him. We are the spiritual descendants of Jesus Christ in that what he did for us by dying on the cross is made us sons of God. He won back for us everything that Adam and Eve lost. And we don't often think about that. We, we, we see with the eyes that the Jews did uh, in Jesus' time. We see with the eyes that the apostles did. And through the ages, the eyes that people look at what God is trying to tell us oftentimes are more human perspective than God's perspective. Man does not see as God sees. God sees the heart. And that's really what's going on here. And that's from uh, 1 Samuel 15, about verse 22. And it says, Because of his affliction, he shall see the light in fullness of days. So Jesus did exactly what he needed to do. Jesus' work was not done when he died on the cross. His work was not done, completely done, when he rose from the dead. His work was done, he had completed the work that the Father gave him when he ascended into heaven. And then the Father gave the Holy Spirit on the, to the apostles ten days later. Because of his affliction, he shall see the light in fullness of days. So God chose his son to go through all of this, and then he wrote, raised him from the dead, so that we too might be able to be raised from the dead. Through his suffering, my servant shall justify many, and their guilt he shall bear. Now let's look at a couple of scriptures there. Let's look first, first of all, let's look at 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 18. Verse 18, for Christ also died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring to us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. 
Romans 5, 6 says, while we were yet helpless at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Again, let's, uh, I don't have it down here, but I know it by heart. Uh, the last part of Isaiah 60, verse 22, I think it stands, or line D, in the Jerusalem, it says, in due time, I will act with speed. In the, in the RSV, I believe it says, when the time is right, I will act with speed. So we need to understand that God sent his son into the world at exactly the right time to do exactly what he wanted him to do. Jesus told the apostles that he was obedient to the Father in all things, and he was obedient even unto death. So we need to be aware of that. Note uh, H for Isaiah 53 in the New Jerusalem Bible is the light. Here, Yahweh speaks to explain the mystery of the sufferings of the upright servant. He is not suffering for any guilt of his own, but takes the rebellious acts of many on himself and intercedes for them. For them, so Jesus took those all on us because we couldn't do it. We can't redeem ourselves. Never could. Never will. And so we need to understand that. And we don't really comprehend that most of us, or maybe we do. We have glimpses at it from time to time, but we tend to forget. Let's take a look at 2 Peter 3, 9. It says, The Lord is not being slow in carrying out his promises, as some people think he is. Rather, is he being patient with you, wanting no one, nobody to be lost and everybody to be brought to repentance? So Jesus' second coming will come at exactly the right time, so that as many as possible can go to heaven. And that's, that's interesting for us to, to see that. And we don't always think about that. Now, let's take a look at the gospel. The gospel is from Mark chapter 10, verses 35 to 45. And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to Jesus and said to him, okay, James and John, it was Peter, James, and John were at the transfiguration. Peter, James, and John was the inner circle of Jesus's ministry. Even among the apostles, these three were the innermost part of that intimate relationship with, with Jesus. And we see from the Last Supper and at the cross that of the three, even John was the most intimate with Jesus. He had the best relationship. Jesus may have chosen Peter, but John is the one that had the relationship with Jesus. Now we see a parallel for this in verse in Matthew chapter 24, verses 20 to 27. So what are they? <clears throat> Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask you. I can't count the number of times that I've prayed and said, God or Jesus, either way, I want you to do for me what I want. Do what, do what I want, not what, what you want. Do what I want. We do not pray the Our Father properly, do we? Because we say, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That God's will needs to be done in us. And our, we don't allow God to do that because we've decided what's best for us. And that's usually something that satisfies something within us that is oftentimes is not good. They, what do you wish of me, me to do for you? Jesus, Jesus replied, what do you wish me to do for you? What is it that you want? Tell me what you want. They answered him, grant that in your glory, we may sit one at your right and the other at your left. Ah, so that's what they want. They, they, want, to be, they want to be the most important of the apostles. Out, even though Jesus has told Peter, basically told them that Peter is the leader, James and John decide that they want to be the most important, particularly when he becomes the Messiah, when he's the king and he's ruling in Jerusalem. They want to be his prime minister and whatever else it is, the most important people in the kingdom. 
So what the, they want this when his Masonic, messianic kingdom and his triumph is assured. They want to be the ones that are important. Jesus said to them, you do not know what you are asking. Does Jesus ever say that to you when you come to him and ask for something? You don't know what you're asking. Because we sometimes we really don't. We're looking for something to indulge ourselves, and probably it's not good for us. It has it may not be good for us in the here and now, and it may not be good for us in the eternal. But he says, you do not know what you are asking. Okay? And then he goes on, and he says to them, can you drink the cup that I drink or be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? Now, that baptized is, is fully immersed. Okay, so let's take a look at a couple of, that note E in the Jerusalem Bible says to drink the cup, uh, uh, refer to 1436 in Mark's gospel, and be baptized are symbols of the approaching passion Jesus is to be immersed in suffering. So going back to the first reading, from Isaiah, Jesus is saying, look, I'm going to have to suffer and die. Are you ready to do that? Are you, do you know what you're, you don't know, you don't know what comes with what you're asking for. You have to suffer and die in order to receive an award, a reward that, that's, that, that is that great. And if they suffer and die, then they won't be able to be there at that messianic kingdom. However, they were thinking of a temporal kingdom and Jesus is speaking to them of an eternal kingdom. When he comes into his glory, he comes into his glory, remember, when he's on the cross. He comes into his glory when he sends back to the Father. They, they said to him, we can. Boy, that's pretty bold, isn't it? They don't even know what it is that they're going to have to go through to receive what Jesus is. They're asking Jesus to give them. And yet they're saying, we can do, we'll do whatever it takes. Just give it to us. And Jesus said to them, the cup that I drink, you will drink, and the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. Now, all of the apostles died a martyr's death except John. They all died as followers of Jesus and for Jesus, except for John, okay? And with the baptist, and let's see, but to sit at my right and my left is not mine to give, but for those whom it has been prepared. That's uh, pretty interesting, isn't it? That's what Jesus is saying. I'm not the one that's in charge of that. It's my Father is the one that is going to give all of these things to the people that are the rewards. Mine is to redeem people, to redeem the world, the people of the world. Mine is to provide the teaching so that people can obtain salvation, attain, obtain eternal life. but it's for those for whom it has been prepared. So God the Father has already prepared people to sit at his right and his left. Okay? When the ten heard this, they became indignant at James and John. Remember several weeks ago, I think it was, they were on the road and they were arguing among themselves who was the greatest. And so there's a lot of rivalry here among the apostles. You would think, you know, in a group like this that's following Jesus, hearing his teaching, that he's selected to be leaders of his church, that there would be unity. Amazing, isn't it? There's about as much unity in the apostles as we see in a lot of the members of the church today, including the hierarchy. And the hierarchy are the successors of the apostles. 
So Jesus has to, you know, they didn't get it. We don't get it. What Jesus is promising us and what he's giving us is very different from what we decide that we want. Jesus summoned them and said to them, you know that those who are recognized as rulers over the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones make their authority over them felt. Okay, so what, what does that mean? I don't, you just have to look around in, in the world of politics today and you'll see that. But, but this is, Jesus is telling them basically the same thing that Samuel told the Israelites when they asked for a king. Let's look at 1 Samuel chapter 8, verses 10 to 18. So t- Samuel told all the words of the Lord to the people who were asking them for a, a king from him. He said, these will be the ways of the king who will reign over you. He will take your sons and appoint them to his chariots and to his horse to be his horsemen and to run before his chariots. And he will appoint for himself commanders of thousands and commanders of 50 and some to plow his ground and to reap his harvest and to make his implements of war and the equipment of his chariots. He will take your daughters to be perfumers and cooks and bakers. He will take the best of your fields and vineyards and olive orchards and give them to his servants. He will take the tenth of your grain and of your vineyards and give it to his officers and to his servants. He will take your men servants and maidservants and the best of your cattle and your donkeys and put them to work. He will take the tenth of your flocks and and you shall be his slaves. And in that day you will cry out because of your king whom you have chosen for yourself. But the Lord will not answer you in that day. So even Samuel is saying that the king, the king that they they were asking for, which was Saul in this case, was going to basically enslave them. That as long as God was their king, which he was, but they wanted a king like all of the other nations around them, as the pagans had. And Samuel is telling them, this is what the pagan kings do, and this is what your king is going to do to you as well. Because he's a king and he's going to exercise his authority, and sometimes that authority is not going to be very good for you, or you won't think it's good for you when you start having to give all these people, places, and things up to satisfy the king. Okay, so let's take a look at... I've got some things here that I don't know where I put them. But it shall not be so among you. Oh, it shall not be so among you. Rather, whoever wishes to be great among you will be your servant. Whoever wishes to be first among you will be the slave of all. God wants us to be servants of each other. Remember in in John chapter thirteen, where he talked about you know wash each other's feet. That we I think we read that a little bit earlier. God wants us to be servants. That's that is the servant leadership. That's what Jesus gave us. He provided servant leadership for his apostles. He served them. He didn't lord it over them. And then he says, "For the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve." And to give a ransom, give his life as a ransom for many. And let's see, let's look at Matthew 6, 7, and 8. And in praying, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. Do not they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father in heaven knows what you need before he asks you. 
Jesus has already told them, don't be like the Gentiles. And then again, we see in Ephesians 4, 17, Paul tells us, And now I affirm and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles walk in the futility of their minds. So in a sense here, James and John are walking in the futility of their minds because they've got to figure out what's going to happen. And then 1 Thessalonians 4, 3 to 5, For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body and holiness, not in the passion of lust like the heathens do who do not know God. You know, if you know God, Jesus tells us in John chapter 15, if you, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. <clears throat> in First John, in First John, we see, if you love him, you're going to keep his commandments, and his commandments aren't burdensome. An example out of, out of the last hundred years of this is probably Maximilian Kolbe. If you remember, he was in, in the concentration camp, and somebody had died, and the, the, the uh, guards thought that, he had, that that person had escaped. So they were going to pull 10 men out, <clears throat> pardon me, 10 men out and starve them to death. And one of the men had small children and he was crying and carrying on and pleading that they not do that to him. And Maximilian Colby stepped in and took his place. Let's take a look at the second reading. The second reading is from Hebrews again, believe it or not. Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 to 16. Brothers and sisters, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. Again, it's talking about Jesus, who was the high priest, who sacrificed himself to redeem us from our sins. Again, with the first reading we see, saw that the Messiah was going to have to suffer. In the gospel, we saw that the Messiah was supposed to be a servant. So what, what does that do for us? Uh, let's take a look at uh, some uh, other scriptures here. Psalm 89 verse 14 says, Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Steadfast love and faithfulness go before you. So the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases, and God's love for us was... Oh, I'm sorry, that, that's not the one we, look, we need. Okay, but God, that's for the psalm. I'm sorry, I messed up. God wants us to know that. Note E for Hebrews 4 in the New Jerusalem Bible says, the first mention of heaven where, according to the letter, Christ exercises his priestly function, seated at the right hand of God. So Jesus is at the right hand of the Father. He belongs no less to the eternal realities. His sacrifice accomplished once for all takes on the perfect and eternal value. The God of Christian hope is the fulfillment of this salvation in the heavenly city. And you can go back and look at that, that uh, note, and there are a number of... of uh, other scriptures that are referred to. You'll see that in this is one of the major themes of the book of Hebrews. Hebrews 9, 11, and 12. But when Christ appeared as high priest of all good, all of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with human hands, that is not of, of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy place, taking not the blood of goats and calves, but his own blood, thus securing eternal redemption. Hebrews 9.24 goes on to say, For Christ has entered in, not into the sanctuary made by human hands, a copy of the true one, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God. Okay. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to, to sympathize with our weakness. Oh. We, we 
he, Jesus, uh, I believe it's in, I, I don't recall, he was like us in all things but sin. Jesus knows what it's like. He was tempted in the desert. We see that, that he was tempted in the desert. But we don't know what other temptations he had. But he, Jesus was tempted. He was tempted in the garden. He was tempted in the garden not to do the Father's will. If you listen to his, his prayer, it's obvious that there was some kind of a temptation there that he was experiencing. And he was praying that, that he would do the Father's will, even though there was a temptation not to do it. And it says, yet without sin. So let us confidently approach the throne of grace to receive mercy and to find grace for a timely help. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus took our sins upon himself. Jesus is laid down his life for us. And that's what Jesus was saying in, in the gospel to the apostles, that you need to lay down your lives for one another, for those to whom I've, that, I, that I have given you. Now let's look at the responsorial psalm. It's from Psalm 33, and it's very it's an interesting psalm, the and it's various verses, and the response is, Lord, let your mercy be on us as we place our trust in you. Lord, let your mercy be on us as we place our trust in you. If you don't place your trust in Jesus, then are you really wanting his mercy? God wants to give us his mercy, but we have to trust that he's going to give it to us, and we have to trust that his mercy is sufficient for us to be able to uh, receive it and give us what we need. Ah, now I'm going to go to this Psalm 89, verse 14. I'm sorry, I did that, did that earlier. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Steadfast love and faithfulness go before you. God wants to give us. He's faithful to us. He's righteous. What he does is right. He does the right thing. He, justice means he gives what is right to be done. And the found, that's the foundation foundation of his throne he by his very nature this is who he is and his steadfast love and faithfulness go before him steadfast love is what we see frequently it doesn't change nothing i can do to change god's love okay let's look at deuteronomy 32 4 which says the rock is his work the rock his work is perfect for all his ways are justice a god of faithfulness and without iniquity just and right is he. So even early on in the journey of the of the Israelite people to the day of Jesus, they are told that the rock, the Lord is my rock and my salvation. Who, okay? So th they know that. They've heard that. Let's look now at Psalm 100. And he, okay, upright is the word of the Lord and all his works are trustworthy. He loves justice and right. Of his kindnesses, Kindness, the earth is full. Psalm 119, 64 says, The earth, O Lord, is full of your steadfast love. Teach me your statutes. God wants us to be totally united to him. Again, Jesus told us in John chapter 15, If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. But we can't do it on our own, can we? We need God's help to be faithful to him. And anytime we try to do anything on our own, we're asking for trouble. See, the eyes of the Lord are upon those who fear him, upon those who hope for his kindnesses. God is going to look out for you if you, if you, if you say that you're going to be dependent upon him, dependent upon him, and you act like it.
34, uh, Psalm 32, 8 is not one of the verses we have, and that is one with, that you need to know by heart. I will instruct you and teach you in the way that you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. And then it goes on. The next verse talks about don't be like senseless horse or mule that needs bridle to, to curb their spirits. Okay, let's look at Psalm 34, verse 15. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and his ears toward their cry. Are you righteous? Are, are you a person of integrity? Are you doing what you should be doing? Or are you being like the apostles that sometimes you are and sometimes you aren't? The apostles in the gospel, sometimes they were doing the right thing and sometimes they weren't. Now, it may not have been serious sin, but they're not doing what's right. And then he goes on to say, to deliver them from death and to preserve them in spite of famine. Now, I'm going to take a little liberty with that because I'm going to look at Amos chapter 8, verse 11. It says, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord God, when I will send a famine on the land, not a famine of bread, nor a thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. I think we're pretty much in that type of a situation right now. People don't want to hear God's word. They're hungry for the truth, but they don't know what the truth is. They don't know how to find the truth, and they're not doing what they need to do to be able to find it. So their people are hungry and thirsty, but they don't realize it is God. You know, St. Augustine said, our hearts are restless, Lord, until they rest in you. We're not resting in God. Okay, so let's go on. Our soul waits for the Lord, who is our help, help and shield. Do you do that? Or do you plot ahead on your own? Because that's what you want to do. Psalm 115, 9 says, O Israel, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. And again, Psalm 130, verse 6, which those who pray the daily office or, or book, Christian prayer will know this one by heart. My soul waits for the Lord more than the watchman for the morning, more than the watchman for the morning. Are you waiting for the Lord? Are you expectant that he's going to come? Are you expectant? That's what hope is, expect, expectation for God to act. Are you there? And then finally it says, May your kindness, O Lord, be upon us who have put our hope in you. May your kindness be upon us who put our hope in you. Psalm 90, verse 17, Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us. Establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. Are you doing what God wants? Are you expecting God to give you what you need to be able to do what's necessary? With that, I'm going to close, and I just have one more scripture that I'd like to have uh, give you, and that's Ephesians 5, 1 and 2. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us, and gave himself up for us a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. Think about these things. God bless you. Hope you have a great week. Hope to see you again next week.